Genesis. Now, and we'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. We've got to remember that these people that Moses is talking to, a new generation, is going into a land that is filled full of idolatry, debauchery, some of the most wicked generations that have ever existed on earth. Uh, they would conquer and dwell in the land. Uh, in fact, there's a, uh, a website that, uh, that Rob sent me back several weeks ago. And it talked about some of these civilizations and just to how bad the archaeologists and what they have found and the child sacrifice and all the different things that went on there. Um, that uh, I maybe uh, I was asking him, uh, I don't know whether we could put it on our screen or not. Uh, I'm still, we need to figure it out with uh, the um, copyright laws and so forth. But I'd like to show that uh, someday. Uh, just to show you the land in which the children of Israel would possess. And so the Lord set some very stark and very strong uh, rules that he set forth for the people. And so most of these, and some of them sound very harsh, and yet they were, every time they sound harsh, just remember that he's usually setting them, saying don't come anywhere close to what the Canaanites are doing, and so are the uh, the land in which you're going to conquer. So if you don't, if it sounds, oh my, that sounds unduly harsh. Well, remember they're going into the land that's going to take some very strong separation, or they were going to fall right into it. And so, but first of all, we see in chapter 22. Then we see that uh, he begins with just being a good neighbor. And how many times have we seen that he's talked about animals? And so he says in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 1, he says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them to, back to your brother. So if you have uh, somebody's sheep that comes over in your yard, what are you supposed to do? A good neighborly thing? Isn't that good neighborly advice? Now, isn't it interesting he doesn't attach any penalties to these? These are social regulations. He says, if you want to be a good neighbor and love your neighbor, this is what we're talking about. Now, there are where they're stoning and everything else, but these are just things that uh, uh, someone said uh, they're not Ten Commandments, ten, uh, but uh, uh, they're Ten Commandments, they're not Ten Suggestions. Well, these are more in the sense of, okay, sins of omission. If you don't do this, then you're not a holy people. But, it, but uh, we don't see that he's put uh, any strict penalties on them. And he says, if your neighbor, in verse 2, a brother is not near you, or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Notice, even if you don't know who he is, he's your brother, then you shall restore it to him, and you shall do the same with his donkey, and you shall do it with his garment, any lost and found, you're not, it's not yours. You want to find ways of getting it back to its owner. Isn't that all? Oh, that's good stuff, isn't it? That's a good Christian way of doing things. But um, notice in verse 4, you shall not uh, see your brother's donkey or his ox fall along the road. So you're out going to Walmart and you see your brother's donkey fall along the road. You don't hide yourself from him, but you sure should really stop and help him. Help him lift it up. That's all good neighborly advice. 
Now, here's one that uh, has been strongly misunderstood. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so uh, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, we know again that uh, the Lord has already set up. He's already told them to put tassels. And we'll see this again. He'll mention this uh, in the next few chapters about putting tassels. They were to wear tassels along their robes. Now, we would, uh, the way we identify people and Dominic, anybody else here been in the service? How do we identify people in the service? It was on the sleeve or on the shoulders. But, uh, yeah, but you could see, what's that? Your name, well, name tag, but as far as, but I'm talking about rank and uh, positions and so forth. And uh, with the, in the Navy, it was that gold braid that was across the hat. If it's a black, uh, you didn't salute it if it's a black uh, cap, but if it was a gold braid, you saluted it. I was an officer. So that was a way of identifying. But you see that all through the Bible. You think of the woman with the issue of blood and the Lord, he just wanted to touch her. Uh, he wanted, she wanted to touch his garment. Paul. They knew that he was a rabbi. Remember when he kept talking about Rabbi Paul this morning? Well, they knew he was a rabbi because he had been to the school of Gamil, Gamaliel. And as a result, he had his honors on his, uh, on his robe. And so that's the reason whenever he'd go any place where there was a synagogue, they said, oh, you're a rabbi. Come on in and speak to us. And so he was instantly identified. And so that was one way. But another, what he said, be so different that... Uh, that you're not getting into the transvestite and all that kind of stuff that uh, here again, we've already talked about how many these idolater worshipers would get into all forms of animalism and all kinds of garbage. He said, stay totally away from that. Stay away, stay away from the transvestite crowd. That would take care of most of the boys. Some of that stuff's going on today. Um, and by the way, if it's an abomination to the Lord back then, it's an abomination to the Lord now. And I keep thinking in that verse where it says it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and be cast into the uttermost parts of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And boy, do we have, we need a lot of millstones in our country today, don't we? But how sad to see what's going on. So that wasn't where, you know, we get into the slacks issue and all that. They would take that from that. But uh, that is not what I'm saying. For one thing, it's very difficult to uh, if uh, is it wrong for a girl to wear a, a Chicago Bears football jersey? Yes, they should be wearing a Packers jersey. But you know, uh, now is it wrong for you know the, all these different things? But no, uh, even the one thing is that uh, the, the idea is girls be girls and guys be guys, and. Uh, we don't want girls to be boys. Of course, we got tomboys and all that. But uh, we want men to be men and girls to be girls or women to be women. Now, then notice in verse 6, just, this is something that reminds me of my kids. He says, if the bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, so here you are going to Walmart again, in any tree on the ground, when one of the ones or with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young ones, young or on the eggs, you shall take. You shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go, and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days. No, sir, that may it be well with you. Why would that be well with you? Because you're preserving the bird population. 
And so, yes, you take hen's eggs and all that, but leave the mother alone, especially along the way, the wild animals and so forth. Uh, that's a good, that's a good uh, uh, preservation, isn't it? And so, again, we'll see. And notice in verse 8, very practical. When you build a new house, you shall uh, uh, make a parapet for the roof. And so they would, put, they would sometimes build those houses along the, uh, the uh, and they'd build them right into the uh, hillside, and you would have a deck on top. And you remember even um, with the Lord when he was healing people, and the men went up on the roof and they took the tiles off to let the, the uh, man down into the roof. That's desperation. But um, the roofs, uh, he says, put a rail up there. Put a parapet. Put something up there so that people don't fall off. Isn't that good advice? I mean, that's just common sense. But, uh, but here again, that we see that we're being good to our neighbor. He says, and if you sow a vineyard of different seeds. Now, this is a contra- why different seeds. You say, don't do that, lest the yield uh, that you have sown on fruit of your vineyard be defiled. How is it defiled? Because that's what the Canaanites do. We want you to be totally different than the Canaanites. If nothing else. Now, there might be other things that some scientists can figure out. But right now, just remember that if you can't figure it out, be different than the Canaanites. Don't be like them, even in the way that you farm or the way that you take care of vineyards. He says, and here's another one. Verse 10, you shall not plow with an ox or a donkey together. Why? Because they have different strides. So you're taking care of your animals. Just very practical stuff. He says uh, in verse uh, 11, and you shall not wear a garment of different sorts. Again, you know, you mean we can't have... Uh, you know, 65% polyester and 35% cotton or whatever, is that sin to have? No. And there again, we don't understand why, other than the fact that it had to do with the culture of the day. And um, the Jews were to be different than anybody around them. You say, well, this sounds a little weird. Well, some of our little oddities are what makes us different. And so even, uh, you know, the... Uh, the Canaanites would know simply by the th- ways that people wore their clothes that they were different, that they were Jews and not, not Canaanites. And so, again, we see that uh, they, they were to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And verse 12, and he says, you shall, not, and you shall make tassels, and there's that verse, uh, for the corners of your clothing. And so, uh, and then in verse 13, th- uh, he talks about now, and he's going to get into... Uh, marriage vows. And the Lord holds marriage vows very strongly. I mean, he, he, when, they're, when they're made, then they're to be kept. And there are penalties and there are, there are uh, sad consequences to those who don't. Uh, and because we see, he says, a man takes his wife and goes to her and detests her. Okay, I like it. So remember, a lot of times it would be uh, parental um, matchmaking. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. And so the parents would take care of it. Well, what if, the, what if your son, you matched him up with just the ideal girl, but he didn't like her? Well, the girl had to have protection. And so we see that God sets up protection. We're not going to go deeply into this, but um, other than the fact that, uh, that if he makes false charges against her, that, um, that she's not pure or virgin, then, uh, then he can be killed. 
So, I mean, you just don't make false charges. But if she is, uh, then she's got problems. Now, again, these are not fail-safe tests because, of course, we know that uh, simply because, I mean, we don't get too deeply into it, but uh, just the uh, the whole idea of um, tokens of a girl's virginity until she, uh, to her marriage night, that that's not a fail-safe uh, method, but this is what God had set up. Now, in verse 22, we see that if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall she put away the evil from among Israel. You'll see that term three times now, put away evil from, from Israel. Can you think of somewhere in the New Testament where this law was violated? Remember the woman who was taken and thrown in front of the Lord and said, we found her in the act. Okay, what's the big problem there? It takes two. So what, was the, what were they doing? They were leaving out the man. And no wonder the Lord let her off. And of course, he said, you who without uh, um, sin cast the first stone. And they were lying to him right there. They were breaking the law by bringing her to him without uh, without bringing them in. So here again, we see that uh, these were uh, things that uh, were from the Old Testament. He says, if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds a city. So here we have the law of rape. And if she's in the city, scream like everything. And uh, the man, and if that happens, then um, then especially if she's betrothed. If she's betrothed, then, um, then the man's to be killed. But then there's a situation where there's a young woman who is a virgin, and uh, then she is taken advantage of, and, uh, but uh, she is single. And, uh, but you know, all the way through the Bible, um, you got uh, David's uh, son uh, raping his sister, and we have other things like that. Uh, why did God leave that man alive? Because she didn't have to live with him. In fact, remember, this is still an area where you had the father who would dictate whether you would be able to marry my daughter or whatever. But uh, but if he defiled her, then that, uh, a lot of times, that defiled her for life, unfortunately. And so that man was left alive, but what was he to do? He had to take care of her the rest of his life. Okay, you did her too like this, then you are going to support her the rest of your life. Isn't that, I mean, that's not, you know, there again, you could, we could argue about whether that, whether we think it's right or wrong, or whether we even should have set up our laws like this, but we were, we're dealing with customs back then that were, were a whole lot different than today. And uh, one thing God's trying to do here is protect the women from overpowering men and all that. And then from false accusations and all the things that uh, come up. And so we could talk about that more, but I'd rather not write with a mixed company on a Sunday night. But uh, uh, as we, you can see the practicality of a lot of these laws. Now, in chapter 23, we're going to look at a couple of verses and then we're going to come back to them. But uh, first of all, if a man's got problems, uh, then he was to be excluded. There again, they had... Um, that all kinds of rituals and self-mutilations and all that kind of stuff with the gods of, uh, of the Canaanites. 
And so if a man had, um, had lost his, uh, his masculinity, then he was to, to be excluded from the congregation, as, at least as far as not being a leader in the congregation. But then in verse 2, is a very interesting one. I, I heard it and I started studying it on Monday, and it's just intrigued me all week. And it is an illegitimate, and now you see in the King James, I'm not going to use the word there, but uh, an illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. The rabbis think that uh, what the Lord was saying there was that uh, no one could be a king or a, lead, a big leader in Israel until, I mean, it, until after the 10th generation. Others say, well, it's uh, forever because 10 is the number of closing or whatever. Uh, others, um, we see this. Um, it has to, it can't be that they get excluded from leadership because if you, uh, later on, we'll, I'll show you some names. And they were part of the leadership of Israel, uh, even during Moses' time. And so it can't totally be that. It doesn't mean that they can't enter into the temple. And a lot of people believe that that's what it means. But ten generations? How many people know your fifth generation? Many, how many people know your great-granddaddy? Let alone Ten? And so, but we're going to see this in just a moment, what God is doing here. But um, then in, in verse 3, the Ammonite and the Moabite. Now, who were they? Ammon and Moab were the illegitimate children of Lot. And so notice the two groups of people that are excluded from the congregation. And uh, that as a, as a people, they're not going to be part of the assembly forever. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, we know there's going to be intermarriage and stuff like that. But, um, but for the, then again, he talks about the 10th generation because they did not meet the, uh, you with bread and water. Remember, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they had problems in Baal and all those things that came from there that he talks about in verse 4. Nevertheless, the Lord your God will not listen to Balaam. And so he goes on and says, and so these people are excluded forever. Now, the nation was, but not individuals. And again, we'll see that in a moment. Uh, it's like uh, we know that um, God is going to really judge Russia in the tribulation. Do we not? He's going to destroy them. But uh, can Russians be saved? We had one here this morning, right? So uh, that doesn't mean that the individual can't. Hittites were... Gentiles, but yet uh, we see that Uriah the Hittite was one of David's maiden men. And so it doesn't mean that there wasn't intermarriage and that there weren't God-fearers that were accepted into the worship, at least, of the Lord. Uh, maybe not into the temple. We, can't, we don't know totally exactly what that means. Where was the dividing line? But, um, but with verse uh, 7, we see, but you don't, or the Edomite, why? Because that's your, those are your half-brothers. Remember Seir, that was uh, Esau. And don't uh, abhor the Egyptians. You were down there with them, with them for 400 years. And so those two are not to be abhorred. Uh, uh, but he says the children of the third generation born to them may enter into the assembly. So they, they've only got, to, so their grandchildren can enter into the, um, into the uh, congregation. Uh, now notice this some more in verse 9. 
uh, when the army goes out to, against your enemies to keep yourself from the wicked thing, he goes on and he talks about uh, if you touch any unclean thing and so forth. Um, and then verse 12, there's the sanitation again. The idea of latrines, the idea of, you know, and that wasn't practiced by most armies of the world until the 1800s. No wonder whenever one of the bad things about when, march, when armies marched through Europe and even when the British army came over to America, they would leave diseases behind because of just their uncleanliness. And it was, I mean, it didn't matter whether it was the civilized armies or the pagan armies or whatever else. Just that they didn't understand that until 1800s. Isn't that sad? No wonder so many people, more people died from, from disease than from war so many times. Um, so then he talks about, in, um, in verse 17, um, he says, Thou shalt not, uh, there shall be no ritual harlot, or daughters uh, of the daughters of Israel, or a perverted, uh, one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring wages. So I've seen some crazy things uh, you know, uh, I think I saw, I remember as a teenager or whatever, well, a long time ago anyway, and I was reading Ann Lander. Remember, remember Ann Landers and Abigail Van Buren? And, am I that old? Remember Ann? Okay, shake your head if you remember uh, Ann Landers. But uh, she had a lady who, uh, a woman, who uh, had mentioned that she had been caught illicit things, but she was making some money off of it. But she was giving to the church. Wasn't that good? You know, and I'm going, oh boy. You know, so uh, there again, even as a teenager, or well, I thought that was kind of weird or strange. But that, there again, people do all kinds of crazy things. And so he said, you don't do that. Uh, verse 19, you shall, don't charge interest to your brother. Now, you can charge interest to the, uh, to the foreigners, but uh, when you loan money to your brother, you don't charge interest. That's a pretty good one. Um, and when you make a vow to the Lord, in verse 24, um, let's see, 21, I'm sorry, and then uh, be sure to keep it. Now, one thing God keeps saying is don't make vows unless you're willing. I mean, there's only one or two vows in the whole, your whole life that you should make. And one of them is marriage. So don't make any vows unless you're planning on keeping them because God expects you to keep your vows. And... Uh, but um, notice in verse uh, 24, we have the welfare system again. Uh, when you come to your neighbor's vineyard, you shall eat the grapes uh, at your pleasure, but you don't uh, take a big old basket of them home with you. Remember, and he talks about that the same way with the corn, standing grain, and so forth. Remember the, the Lord and his disciples walked through a cornfield. And what did they do? They peeled them off. That eating raw corn? Ugh, I don't know, but uh, they ate raw corn that day. But, uh, they, but they didn't put a lot of it in their robes or in a basket. There again, that was a welfare system. We know that also the gleaning of the fields. Whether you, once you got through it, let the poor people come in and get the rest. Leave the corners even for them. And so uh, all, those, uh, the, all the welfare systems that he had set up. In chapter 24, again, we're not going to get deep into this, but if he marries her um, and her husband detests her, then he can give her a bill of divorce. Uh, but he, but he, if he sends her out of his house, in verse 3, or if the latter husband dies who took her, uh, then the former husband, in other words, here you have, and this is what I practice today, you always hope for reconciliation. 
until there is a marriage. And once there's a marriage, this passage says you can't go back to your original partner, regardless of what Elizabeth Taylor and a lot of other people have done. And so if uh, you've divorced that person and either one of you have remarried, then that's the end of it. That's, there's no possibility of reconciling. Now, again, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, we can get into, if you, uh, we used to say, if you really want to start a war, uh, get in a room of about 50 preachers and yell divorce and run <laughs> because you're going to have all kinds of different uh, opinions. Some of them are totally unbiblical and some are too strict. It's always hard. To, that is the most, that's the one diff, most difficult thing in all of ministry to have to deal with is divorce and remarriage because it is, to, and it should be, because that's the one vow that God expects to be kept. Um, notice uh, he says in verse 6, he says, no man shall take a lower or upper millstone as a pledge. So if you need collateral, or if I need collateral from you, the one thing I can't take from you is the way that you make your bread. You, you, keep your, your, you might keep your toaster, but, uh, I mean, you can give me your toaster, but don't give me your millstone. Because your millstone is what provides for your toaster or whatever. But uh, you don't take a person's livelihood and you don't starve them to death. You don't take their house or whatever. And so he goes and he talks a lot about this in chapter 24. Um, And then he talks about leprosy and we've already talked about that quite a bit. So we'll skip over that. In verse 17 of chapter 24, we see you shall not pervert justice due to a stranger or the fatherless. There again, the stranger was a foreigner. But you don't pervert justice. Oh, he's out of town, so we're going to really sock it to him. No, you treat everyone alike when it comes to the laws of the land. Nor do you take your widow's garment as a pledge. Again, trying to protect the women. Uh, And he goes on in verse 19. When you reap the harvest of your field and forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. Let Ruth get it. Remember, that's what Ruth did. She went back and picked up the, the gleanings of the field. Um, and just, I'm going to try to get through these because I want to go back to the main point, point I want to get across. He says in verse 25, or chapter 25, if there's a dispute between you, then you come to court that the judges may judge you. Um, and uh, if there is somebody that needs a whipping in verse 3, or verse 2, verse two tells you to laying, laying him down on the ground, but 40 blows he shall give him and no more. So you're not to beat a man to death. So what the Jews did, they said, well, we don't want to get any close, anywhere close to 40 to break the law. So we will do what they did to Paul. What 40, 40 uh, stripes less one, minus one, 39 stripes. And so that's what the Jews practice. And we even hear Paul mentioning that. And so we see that um, in verse, uh, verse four, again, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. Let him eat as he goes around and around, treading out the grain. We've used that a lot for Christian workers. Unfortunately, sometimes even the Christian workers make delineations. I was in a Christian school um, in my first year out of college. And the school was having a little bit of problems. And um, I won't go deeply into it, but uh, uh, we weren't sure we were going to get paid every week. And yet the pastor started talking about, well, we got to give the staff a raise. And I went and I said, boy, that's going to be great. We're going to get a raise. I hope they got the money. And uh, he said, no, you, you don't realize. He's talking about the, uh, 
the pastors, not you. I'm going, oh, so we're going to figure out whether we're going to eat or not. You know, it's one of those things. And that was no, that's one reason Christian schools, that movement is dying today, is because of things like that that were set up that were really a violation of the Word of God. Um, verse uh, 13, he says, and here's another one that really the uh, book of Proverbs says God hates this. He says, you shall not have in your bag different weights, a heavy and a light. In other words, you don't put your hand on the scale. Uh, if you have a weight that says it is one gram of silver, then you don't shave off the bottom of it or add to it or whatever else. Uh, because if whatever I measure out for you, then you can expect me to measure it out for you. It should be exactly the same weight. Um, same way uh, and we have uh, government officials that will go around and make sure that uh, whenever you get a gallon of gas, then that meter, if it says a, a gallon of gas on that meter, it better be a gallon of gas or the people get in trouble. And that's the way the standard weights and balances. That's what uh, we see set up. So I went through a lot of these, and there's a lot more we can get into, and I've said that before. We can spend months on this. But the one I want to just show you, the inspiration of God, is turn back to chapter 22 and verse 2. We see this played out, and it was just so intriguing to me. In chapter 20, 23, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verse 2, he says, 23, verse 2, he says, if you have a son by an illegitimate birth, ten generations. That is a harsh one, hard one. But why could God do it? We know that later on uh, there were people that were, for instance, Jephthah. Remember Jephthah, the judge of Israel? They had a hard time following his leadership, especially some of the tribes, because he was the son of a harlot. He was an illegitimate son. Now, but let's turn over and just turn over to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth in chapter 4. Here we have, of course, the kinsman redeemer. We have Ruth, who is married to one of the sons of uh, Naomi. And uh, he, di- and he dies along with his, her brother-in-law. And Penina goes back into, uh, goes back into the, uh, to Moab. But here they are in the land of Moab. Remember, Moab is the illegitimate tribe. It is an illegitimate birth. So right there, uh, knocks them off. But here we have a very interesting prayer or a saying that these women say whenever Moab, what excuse me, whenever Ruth, now of course you know the story of Boaz marrying her. There again, she threw his, his garment, his, the, the um, hem of his garment over her saying, I want you to protect me. There again, that garment had a very significant effect when you read the story of Ruth. And so whenever she went to the threshing floor, she threw the hem of his garment over saying, I want you to protect me. Um, and uh, so, and uh, of course, and there's, boy, that's a whole a message in itself. But uh, there again, so we see that um, in verse 11, we see in all the people, this is after they were married, uh, were at the gate. And the elder said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the women uh, who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, The two who built the house of Israel, notice the women say the women built the house of Israel, uh, that 
and may prosper in Ephrathah, which of course is Jerusalem, or excuse me, Bethlehem, and famous in Bethlehem. So we see the establishment of Bethlehem, and of course that plays uh, that is a very significant location in the book of Luke, chapter two, the birth of Jesus. And now here's a very interesting thing he says. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this one, this young woman. Who was Perez? So one of the hardest chapters in all the Bible to preach. Chapter 38 of Genesis. Wherever we have Judah's two older boys displeased the God, displeased the Lord, and he killed them. And then we have Tamar who comes along, and the law of the Leverite marriage was even true back then. And Judah said, "Listen, when my oldest boy, my youngest boy grows up, then uh, I will let him be your, take care of you, and take care and be your, uh, be your husband." Or be under your protection. But Judah forgot about it. Remember Judah forgetting about it. And then, of course, as a result, uh, Tamar dressed up like a harlot. And she became pregnant through Judah. And so, I mean, just a sordid, sordid situation. So here you have an illegitimate child. And that child was Perez. And you remember there were twins. And one was Perez. And uh, then we see, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when she went in, uh, he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you out this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. Boy, was that prophetic. And may he be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for, the daughter, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, uh, heaven born. So they're talking to Naomi saying, this girl's better to you than seven sons would have been. But then we see, then Naomi took the child and laid it on her bosom. What a blessing that was for Naomi, who remember she changed her name to Bitter, but now she's changing it back to Naomi, and uh, to lay the sun on her uh, and said, and she called, and they called his name Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay, so you, how, did, how are these connected? Okay, let's go through this, the last verse, verse 18. Now the genealogy of Perez is Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amenadab. Amenadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Count those up. Ten. Ten generations from Paris. And we see that God had a special plan and the birth of Israel, who was going to be the first king. And remember what happened to Israel? We want a king. And the Lord says, he's coming, I promised you a king, but it's going to be in my timing. But they said, no, we want a king. And Samuel got very upset with them. And, and he was really even down about it. And the Lord came to Samuel and said, uh, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so who did God have planned 
to be the first king of Israel. Ten generations later, David was to be the first king of Israel if the children of Israel had listened to God. But they demanded a king ahead of time. This is one of those great illustrations of don't rush God. When God promises something, he's going to give it. But when we go ahead of God, then so many times we, get, we have all kinds of complications in our lives. And so it was with Israel. All the pain, the suffering, and the division, and the death that was called by Israel. God gave him the best he had. He gave him, gave him a very handsome man, head and shoulders above everybody else, Saul. But what a disaster he was. Totally incapable and yet God gave a little shepherd boy, seven year, the seventh brother down. And we see that, uh, and there again, you think about Jesse, was, he wasn't a leader. He was out there, he was a shepherd around Jerusalem. And probably he inherited a lot of, or at least uh, his father Jesse, uh, had inherited a lot of things down from Boaz. And yet uh, he was out in the middle of the field But God knew exactly where he was, and he wanted him to be the king of Israel. You know, that is just astounding to me. God already had planned 10 generations before, before Moses even came along, God had planned the first king of Israel. That's the preordination preordination of God. I don't totally understand it, but uh, before it was, but God has a plan for your life and mine. And when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But we don't need to get ahead of him. We want to make sure that we always do God's way, God's things God's way and not cut corners. I'm reading a book right now called The Ways of God. There's a difference between the ways of God and the acts of God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 103 that uh, God made known his ways to Moses and acts to the children of Israel. They saw the... Uh, they saw the manna on the ground. They saw the fire coming down from heaven. They saw the earthquake. They saw the water from the rock and all that. But they never really understood his ways. Every morning they got up and ate bread that didn't even know what it was called. Every day they, they had their food, their shoes never wore out. They had just, a, 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 and wherever they went, everything was supplied. But every time a little something happened, like the water. Well, now that, can you imagine being out for 38 years in the wilderness, and all of a sudden you're out of water? Oh no, God's going to kill us! How many times does it take God to show you that He'll supply your needs, that He'll meet your needs, before you'll start believing Him? How many times do we get into a pickle and oh no, God's not with me? And yet we can't look back and see all the things that God has done and the ways in our lives. So we want to look at God's ways. And God's ways are always perfect, is what he says. Uh, we don't need to sin to get ahead of it. We don't need to cut corners and steal a little bit from the office kitty to make uh, ends meet. We don't need to uh, go deep into debt for something that uh, God doesn't want us to do. No, those are all things that can we wait on God. They that wait on God shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, of course, in God's ways, we've got to know when to go and when to stop and when to wait. And so, But there again, we're going to find that out as we study the Word of God. 
But God already, if, um, if God promises you he's going to supply your need, then, for instance, I've used car sales before because of Anna, but uh, he already has to have somebody who needs a car. He had to have somebody to make the car. He had to have somebody that had the money and all the rest. And so as, long, as, I, as she is taking care of what God has told her to do, then she can rest assured if she's done her best that God's going to meet her need one way or the other. If it's not cars, maybe he'll drop manna down from heaven. But if she starts cheating and all that kind of stuff and getting ahead, which she won't. But if she did, then all of a sudden she's going ahead of God, isn't she? And unfortunately, how many people get ahead by cutting corners? But boy, when it comes harvest time, they fall apart. Or boy, does it come back on them. So again, we see this whole idea that God... Before we were even born, he had a will for your life. He knew your name. And God has a purpose for you here on earth. And God, of course, wants you to be saved. And after you're saved, he, has, well, he always has a will for you. And he has a will. And he has a right to guide us in the ways that we should go. He leads us by the still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us even in the paths of, uh, in the valley of the shadow of death. But can we fear no evil or do we trust him that much? And so we see the great blessings of God and how that so many times, and that's why uh, in 2 Corinthians, the Paul said, all these things were an example to us. The good things, the heroes and the failures. And if Israel had just waited, how much better Things have been. Well, if they would have just appealed to God and said, Lord, you know we want a king. And listen to Samuel and said, The Lord has a king for you, but wait on him. What a blessing it would have been. And so many times we alter our lives by being outside the will of God, by hurrying him up. I praise the Lord to, you know, um, so many times. Boy, if I don't get married now, I never will. Well, that might be true. I always thought that all the way through my 20s. I was three months for, uh, till uh, uh, my 30th birthday before I ever got married. But boy, I sure am glad I waited. Boy, I would have made a disaster. Oh, it would have been horrible. And so we see how that God blesses and God meets needs. I never will forget old Mother Mac when my first couple of years there, and she didn't know I was dating Judy at the time, but she gave me a little poster. They still got it. It says... Um, it says, it's, oh boy, it's better to go without than to have something you don't want or something like that. <laughs> and so, but, uh, but what a blessing to see that God meets the needs. And he already has, if you have a need and you're going to God, he already has a way of supplying it. Can we believe that? Can we really trust God that he can take care of us in what we do? Ten generations before Moses even came along, God already knew who he wanted to be as king of Israel. No wonder he was called the man after God's own heart. And no wonder this man wanted to enter into his presence with singing into his courts with praise. Hey, listen, I'm the first one that, you know, from my generation, from my background, that I'm the one and I can lead the whole nation in worship of the Lord. No wonder David was so happy because, boy, was he a chosen person. And so you go from Moses who was a great lawgiver and covenant maker, and the next major covenant maker with God, or the one that God gave to covenant, was David. 
It's just amazing how that God had his, had those things planned out back before Moses even wrote it down. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. And Lord, may your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we learn to wait on you. May we learn to obey you and do go when you tell us to go and stop when you tell us to stop. May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we always want your, your best for our lives. Oh, how we want to see, Lord, your prosperity and your glory through those who will wait on you. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.